believe that you're the way, the truth, and the life. We believe, God, that uh, there's, we don't come to the Father except um, through you. We believe, God, that you hold the keys to death and you hold the keys, God, to eternal life. And so we worship you, God, as our Savior. We, we worship you, God, as, as, as the living Word of God. We know, God, that um, you're the one who authored the things that we read in here. We believe that, God. Um, and so, Father, I pray, God, this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds, God, um, to find our joy, God, and our contentment, Father, squarely in the face of Jesus Christ. As we look to you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, may we find joy, may we find satisfaction, may we find, God, the contentment, Lord, that we're looking for. There's no one like you, God. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And be seated. And uh, kids, you're dismissed to Kids Church. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, uh, it's, it's paramount that we understand the role that self-awareness plays in our growth as Christians. How, how aware are we of, of our tendencies? This capacity for us to be honest about our strengths, to be honest about our weaknesses, to be conscious and, and forthright about our tendencies, our inclinations, the things of our heart to be fully aware of those things, um, to be aware of the way that we um, impact other people, um, understanding why we react the way we do when we encounter adversity or when we encounter something that's maybe threatening to us. Um, this idea of self-awareness is so important, that we would be in touch with how we think, what we value, why we make the choices that we do, right? How self-aware are we? And, and it's specifically maybe in this issue this morning of, of our joy and our contentment. And of course, the opposite of self-awareness is the idea of self-denial, right? We, we just bury our, bury our heads in the sand and we refuse to, to face reality. Sometimes I really, I, I like living my life there, you know, to just be aloof. Um, maybe live off in this fantasy world where um, I don't know. Um, or maybe it's that sometimes self-denial happens like this, where we overestimate our gifts or where maybe we underestimate our gifts uh, and how they genuinely impact who we are and how we affect other people. Um, this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to to measure our self-awareness regarding an important issue here in our text. Um, think about this question for a second. Are you fully aware of or in touch with the extent to which your joy and contentment in life are tied to your physical and your financial circumstances? Think about that for a second. How aware are you of that? 
The second question, maybe to say it in a little bit a different way, would be this. Are you fully aware of or in touch with the extent to which your confidence in God's goodness and trustworthiness are tied to your physical and financial circumstances? Those are big questions. They, they cause us maybe a moment for a pause because it's like, whoa, I got to think through that. But The first question, are, are you fully aware of or in touch with the extent to which your joy and contentment in life are tied to your physical and your financial circumstances? As I think through that, I go, and if I'm honest with myself this morning, I'm not sure that, that I really am fully aware of how much I'm affected by this. You know, I would like to, to think that, that I'm aware of how much my joy, how much my contentment depends on my circumstances, but I'm not even sure that I really have a grasp on that. You know, there's moments when all of a sudden it becomes aware, when the mask starts to crack, and all of a sudden I see these attitudes in my heart, and I go, whoa, where is that coming from? Where is this doubt coming from? Where is this fear coming from? And all of a sudden, for a moment, my eyes are open to it. I, I want to think and believe that God's good and trustworthy, even when life turns bad. I want to believe that. But you know what? Sometimes I wonder about that. And I think maybe part of the struggle um, for me um, and the self-awareness maybe comes from the fact that, you know what, I haven't really experienced a lot of fluctuation in my life, right? I haven't experienced a lot of fluctuation in the circumstances of life. I, I haven't suffered greatly, and I really haven't prospered greatly. You know, I've never, I've never lost everything, Probably most of us in this room can say that we've, we've really never lost everything. We've never had a tornado. I guess you guys have had a tornado hit your house and you've lost everything. I've never had a debilitating illness. Um, I've never been fired from a job. I, I wasn't the kid in school that was rejected by everyone. I was kind of the kid in the middle that just kind of could, I could like everybody. I could kind of like the nerds and the jocks and kind of just be this chameleon that fit in with everyone. Kind of everybody just liked me. Nobody hated me. At the same time, I've, I've never inherited a large sum of money. I've never just been, whoa, that was a lot of money. I've never had that. I've never... I've never had like this, this huge success, maybe, as the world would define it, in my job. And maybe a lot of you this morning are kind of in the same situation. And so, how do I know the extent to which joy and contentment in my life are tied to my physical and my financial circumstances? And, and how do I know if my trust in God is tied to the good things that God gives me? You know, I think that, honestly, if, if we really dig down deep into our, ourselves, um, 
most of us probably aren't even aware about how much we're effect- our joy and contentment are tied to our physical and our financial circumstances. And you know what? Really, honestly, I don't really want to dig down in there, right? I don't really want to start digging in there because who knows what could, that could invoke. God might all of a sudden go, oh, he's digging now. I'll sh- I'll... I, don't, I don't know that I think about God that way. But I think our text this morning gives us maybe the clearest pathway to becoming aware of where our joy and our contentment lie. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10, and he says this. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Paul begins, and he just he's... So we know that part of the reason that he's writing Philippians is that Philippians is a thank you note. It's a thank you letter. The church at Philippi has sent Epaphroditus with gifts for Paul to help support him in his, in his ministry, in his prison. These, these financial gifts, they're important. If Paul doesn't receive these gifts and he doesn't have money to supply himself and he can't pay rent, he's going to be in a dungeon, literally, eating the food of whatever they give him. Fortunately for Paul, Paul's under house arrest here. So he is chained to a guard, but he's, he has a bit of freedom in, in what he's doing. And so Paul sits down, and after receiving Epaphroditus, he sits down and says, man, I want to express my gratitude for what you've brought. And, he, and so he says there, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. You know, Paul begins um, the letter by saying thank you, doesn't, doesn't he? He says, in all my prayers for you, back in, in Philippians 1, verse 5, he says, I, I've been thankful for your partnership in the gospel, right? And so Paul began his letter that way, saying, thank you for this partnership. And I think he's talking about finances here. But then he leaves finances, and he just starts talking about a lot of things and addressing the church, and now at the end of his letter, he comes back. Um, But this church, from the beginning of his ministry in Macedonia, they had joined with him, right? Not only by praying for him, but also supporting his ministry financially so that he could do the work God had called him to do. And it's likely that Paul is having maybe Epaphroditus write the rest of this letter. But when Paul gets to this spot, like his custom, I think he grabs the pen and he says, all right. Give me that pen, Epaphroditus. It's time for me to write. And, he's, and he begins and he says, I rejoice greatly. And um, what's the reason for Paul's joy? <laughs> he says that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Um, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. You know, when you first read the words, um, it seems like Paul's criticizing this church, right? The words... Well, it's about time, right? It's about time you guys 
came through for me here. There's been a significant gap since Paul and this church have, have been together, since they've communicated, since Paul's received support from him, and that is true. And if Paul didn't say the next sentence, indeed you, had no con- you, you were concerned and you had no opportunity to show it, I think it would be pretty offensive to the Philippians. Like, well, what are you guys doing sitting around there? We, I need your help, man. Why are you not with me in this? Paul's next statement, I think, really indicates the delay is because of there's been a lack of opportunity, not a lack of love and affection. And he uses this beautiful word here. Look at that word that says that at last you renewed your concern for me. That is a beautiful word, folks. It's a botanical word. It's a horticulture, from horticulture, meaning to blossom or to bloom again. Just like perennials, right, push forth new shoots in the spring, thus proving that they're alive. So the Philippians' interest in Paul found a way to express itself, right, through the gift that Epaphroditus would send. Now, there are reasons, maybe, that they'd lost connection with Paul. There are a lot of explanations for this. Could be that um, <laughs> it was, Paul was difficult to keep track of. I mean, think about the distance between Rome and Philippi. 800 miles. 800 miles is a lot now, right? It's difficult to keep track of people that are 800 miles away now. And, and how well do we do that? They don't have GPS. They don't have Facebook. They don't have Instagram. They don't have any of those things. And Paul's not an easy guy to keep track of either, is he? The guy's moving around. He's like, here? He's a pioneer. He's here. He's planning a church. He's like, well, looks like this is established. I'm going to go over here now, plant a church. And so this 10 years that's elapsed between the two of them could be because they just lost track of Paul. But I imagine that the first win that they get of Paul being in prison in Rome, this church shows its love, its compassion for Paul. It says, all right, who's going? Man, it's a long journey. You know, Epaphroditus finally maybe sheepishly raises his hand and, um, all right, here, take this gift to him. And Paul goes on then to make it clear that his joy, right, his joy isn't coming from the gift itself because his joy and contentment wasn't dependent on his physical and financial circumstances. Look at verse 11. He says, I'm not not saying this because I'm in need. I'm not rejoicing at the fact that Epaphroditus brought this gift to me. Paul's joy, his contentment isn't dependent on his physical or financial circumstances. In fact, he almost downplays it here at the beginning of verse 11. Look at that. He says, I'm not saying this because I have a need. I'm not rejoicing because of the gift that you sent me. I, you know what? Honestly, I was perfectly fine without it. It's almost like verse 14 there. If you look at the text in verse 14, it's not like it, it, still it was good of you to share in my struggles. 
He's saying, guys, you know what? The reason for my joy, the reason that I'm rejoicing right now, it has nothing to do with the money. Nothing. Now, some would say the reason that Paul writes this is because he really didn't need it, right? Some commentaries would say that he possibly has an inheritance that he's living off of, and so he has the sufficiency to support himself. I think it's important to insert here here as well that, well, we'll leave that. It's probably not likely that Paul does have an inheritance that he's living off of, if you will. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you, how do you think Paul would have reacted if Epaphroditus had, had been robbed on the way to Rome? We talked about this in message community a little bit. Gus brought this question up. Imagine this. Epaphroditus comes to Paul empty-handed. He says, well, we had $2,000 that we'd saved up you know, that we'd saved up for you and that we wanted to give you, but got robbed on the way here. Do you think that would have changed Paul's response? I don't think it, I don't think it would have. For Paul, his personal prosperity or poverty had no bearing on his joy and his contentment. You see, Paul had learned the true secret of being content. Notice what he says in in the last part of verse 11. He says, For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Notice there that he says, Paul says that he's learned it, right? Do you think contentment comes naturally? Do you think there are people who are just naturally content? I don't think there are very many people who are naturally content. There's a sense where we're, it's ingrained in us, right? To want more, to strive for something greater. Paul says that I've, I've learned it. I've learned the secret. Now, when the Philippians would have read this statement, they would have immediately thought of the Stoic philosophers of the day. The Stoic philosophy, this idea of being content, describes a person who accepted impassively whatever came, right? Circumstances that he could not change were regarded as the will of God, and fretting was useless. This philosophy fostered a self-sufficiency in which all the resources for coping with life were located within man himself. That's what Stoic philosophy would teach, according to the expositor's Bible commentary and other people as well. The Stoic philosopher Seneca maybe summed up this well. He says, the happy man is content with his present lot no matter what it is and is reconciled to his circumstances. This idea of being reconciled, being at peace with, being settled into his his circumstances. In other words, he didn't want to find his contentment or his joy in in anything outside of what was deep inside of him. There's a famous story about Diogenes that illustrates this point. 
he noticed a child drinking out of his hands. And guess what he did? He immediately throws his cup away. A child has vanquished me in economy. That's the kind of, these are the kind of people that Paul is, is writing against. We don't want to find any joy, any contentment outside of ourselves. For the Stoic, the self-sufficient, self-contained man was the one who had willed himself to be independent of all external circumstances and outside sources of support. He could find everything he needed in his own heart and in his own mind. Is that what Paul's saying here? I've learned the secret to being content in whatever circumstances. Now for Paul, that's not what Paul's thinking. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. You see, Paul's discovered something much more powerful driving his life than money or circumstances, greater than the fortitude that, that he could muster within, within himself. There's a compelling strength that was independent of his physical and financial circumstances. For Paul, it's not a rugged independence that came from within. Paul's independence from the world's wealth came from being wholly dependent on Christ. You see, it's Christ in you. It was Jesus inside of Paul, moving his life forward, strengthening him. And so Paul expands on his statement from verse 11 and verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul had learned joy and contentment. I want you to be encouraged by this. Maybe you're pretty discontent in your life. There's a lot of just struggle. Be encouraged by the fact that Paul, the Apostle Paul, had to learn this. Sometimes you can look at people and think, wow, they're just so content and so at peace with things. How in the world are they doing that? It's learned. It isn't something that we're born with. Think about school right? We use this idea of learning. Our children, you know, at the age of three, four, maybe younger, if you have like this overachiever child, you know, they learn their ABCs, right? At, I don't know, when did your kid learn, kids learn their ABCs? Young. And some parents are like, mine, mine learned mine at, at one. Yeah, right when they talked, their first sentence was A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. <laughs> Sorry. That wasn't funny. That's not really that funny. But think about it. Over time, they start, they start to learn how to connect these, these things together. They start to realize that these letters form words, right? Pretty soon, they're writing sentences. My daughter, Kate, you know, we just recently went to her uh, report session, and she's starting to put thoughts together, and she can create like four scenes and create a book. 
She couldn't do that when she was one. She couldn't do that when she was two. She's just now learning how to do that. Now, her letters are all mixed up, and they're not quite together, but imagine, I imagine by third grade, she'll start to spell everything right. Pretty soon, she'll be writing stories, and then she gets into high school, and she's going to have to be writing these term papers, you know, and then there's college, Ugh. you know. We learn these things. Paul has learned how to be content. He says he learned it. Um, I know what it is to be in need. The ESV says it this way. I've learned what it is to be brought low. Very important phrase there. Paul's used this exact same word in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. And we know who he's describing there. Who's he describing in 2.8? He's describing the Lord Jesus Christ who's humbled himself and been brought low. Paul learned it from being brought low. He learned contentment. For Paul, being brought low was describing a way of life similar to the life of Jesus. That's why he writes that all over in the text. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul learned contentment by focusing on Christ and serving Christ. Paul says he also learned what it was to have plenty. Now, how hard could that really be to find contentment when you have a lot, right? Isn't living in prosperity pretty easy? <laughs> What's easier? <laughs> to live with nothing or to live in prosperity? What brings more contentment? I can tell you this. I really have not been in complete disparity but I can tell you that when I left my church in Arkansas, I was pretty content. Things were going pretty well. And I left there and because I was just, well, I wasn't content. And um, boy, I went to a place where I didn't know anybody, didn't have anything, living in my brother's basement. I can look back at those times and I can go, wow. There was a lot of dependency during those times. There was a lot of dependency upon Jesus. There were a lot of tears. There was a lot of reading the Psalms over and over and over again. I can look back at that time and go, wow, I was finding Jesus to be the source of just about everything. And yet I still had food. I still had a place to live. So things didn't really fluctuate that much. How, how easy is it to live in prosperity? You know, the truth is it's, it's likely easier to live the Christian life when things are hard than when everything's going our way. It's easier to find contentment and joy in Jesus maybe when everything's 
Because when everything else is stripped away, I think what we find is that, you know what? Jesus really is that good. He really is who he says that he is. And so Paul's saying here, you know what? I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to be beaten, to be near starvation, but yet not be crushed by it. And I know what it's like to thrive in abundance and yet not let it go to my head. Most of us would look at that differently. We would say that when life is good, God is good. When life is bad, God is bad. And maybe we would even get filled with despair. But Paul, he can look at all of these things without thinking that life has lost its purpose. He can live with nothing and think, Life has not lost its meaning and purpose. He knows how to possess wealth and health without being deceived into thinking that those things are what really makes life worth living. Check your heart. Are we, can we do that? What's the source of our joy and contentment? Because the truth is this. Joy and contentment transcend physical conditions. They transcend financial prosperity. Joy and contentment operate independent from chaos and even independent from peace. Paul says that he has learned the secret to being content in any and every situation. What's Paul's secret? It's found in verse 13. He says, I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. It's through the intimacy of his relationship with Jesus Christ. This idea of being in union with the one who infuses me with strength that Paul writes from, that he writes these things from. Paul's joy and contentment are found in Christ. And when, when Paul says it's through Christ, he's not simply saying he's the cause of it. Paul's talking about his life in Christ. He's talking about the strength that comes from daily walking with Jesus. If we are not, if you are not pursuing Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and pursuing joy in him, pursuing your contentment in him, guess what? You're not going to be content. You're not going to find your contentment that you're looking for in anywhere else. It's only when we cultivate and develop intimacy with Christ that he strengthens us, that, that we truly can say as Paul that it doesn't matter if I'm rich or poor. It really doesn't matter. Paul has in mind here the beauty and the glory of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, person. The wonder and love of his saving work on the cross, the power and sustaining energy of his resurrection. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He has in mind the, the fact that Christ is interceding for us. And of course, he has his mind fixed and his hope fixed on the expectation that Christ will return. Paul had become consumed with Jesus. But he didn't start that way. Right? He learned it. 
You and I need to learn that same thing. We need to listen to Paul's words here. Now, I think it's significant that, and I want to just debunk a little bit of this, it's significant that the new NIV says, and maybe this is not a good translation, he says, I have learned all of this, right? Wait, I can do, sorry, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. It's not like these, these sports figures, right? Remember Evander Holyfield? I was reminded of this this week, Gary, when we were doing questions. Evander Holyfield's fighting Mike Tyson. Remember what he has on his robe? He's got Philippians 4.13 on his robe. He's saying, you know what? God's with me in this. I can, I can defeat Mike Tyson. Now, Mike tried to bite his ear off, and he still did. He did eventually beat him in, the, in a decision. Um, but I think sometimes we take this verse and we... We, we misapply it. Many people read this verse apart from its context, apart from the full scope of Scripture, and we would say this, I can do anything I want through him who gives me strength. Is that what Paul's saying here in the context? I can do anything I want. I can be anything I want because Christ is going to make me that way. Man, that's just, it's not true. Maybe the person who wants a new car can't afford the payments, right? Well, I'm going to go ahead and buy this thing. It's not, I really can't afford it, but I can do everything through him who gives me strength, right? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Or maybe the student who never studies, right? <laughs> Don't apply this verse to this, this situation, right? Never open the cover, cover of a book, um, goes into the test and says, hey, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And then gets a D. You're going to be disappointed. Sometimes prosperity preachers will will quote this verse, tell you to get, you can get anything you want because I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Fortunately, This verse does not say I can do or get anything I want because we're all pretty selfish people. Imagine the world where everyone got everything that they wanted through Christ. That would be a mess. I think it's a far better promise if we keep it in the context, which is this, is that, you know what? No matter what my circumstances, no matter what trials I might face, no matter how difficult the road ahead, God will give me the strength to make it through. Whether I'm in need or I have plenty, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, I can handle everything through Him who gives me strength. So the promise isn't that I can do anything that I want to, rather that I can do everything God calls me to do through Him who gives me the strength. The secret to contentment is not self-sufficiency. It's Christ's sufficiency. The strength doesn't come from within. It comes from without. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And that's why Paul can live in chains, face the possibility of death and say, 
man, I'm rejoicing here. I'm rejoicing greatly because Jesus is giving me the strength. Paul knows that Jesus can move his ministry forward with a lot or a little. Paul's joy and contentment is in Jesus. I think the question, one of the questions for us this morning is, so how do we find joy and contentment in Christ? I think it begins with surrender. Contentment isn't found in the acceptance of your circumstances. It's found in the acceptance of Christ. That's the beginning of the secret. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never looked into his face and found the joy and the contentment that comes from being forgiven of sin. That's where it begins. That's where the the A and the ABCs, that's where life begins. That's where your joy and contentment begins. When we bow at the cross and we surrender and say, you know what? I'm tired of trying to find this on my own. I'm tired of trying to perform to get this thing that I'm looking for. Man, it's such a relief to bow our knees before Jesus Christ cross. Say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I don't have the power to do this on my own. I need you. Jesus hears the prayer of a sinner crying out for him. And he comes and he rescues us from our sins. He's freed us and he loves us. Maybe for the believer in the room. (laughs) How do we find joy and contentment in Christ? Don't look left and don't look right. Don't get sidetracked. You're not going to find your contentment comparing yourself to to others. Either coveting maybe what another person has right? Jesus said this to the rich man. He said, be on guard against all covetousness, for a man's life doesn't exist in the abundance of his possessions. You're not going to find your contentment and your joy in the next win at work, or in the next car that you buy, or in the next raise or end-of-the-year bonus that you get. You won't find it there. You won't find it by looking at another person and saying, well, at least I'm better than that person. Anytime we begin to look left or right, our eyes aren't on Christ. He is the author and perfecter. He is the joy set before us. He's our contentment. And so the third thing that I would say is this. Get to know Christ. Learn Christ. Paul gives us some beautiful answers to to how do we find our joy and contentment in Christ back in verses 7, 8, 9, right? He says, don't be anxious. Don't worry about these things. By prayer and petition and with thanksgiving in your heart, make your requests to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's where it begins. That's how we get to know Christ. That's when we begin to go, I trust you, God, in this. I'm bringing this to you. I'm not going to carry this anymore. He goes on and he says, whatever's true, whatever's pure, whatever's noble, whatever's admirable, whatever's lovely, whatever's excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul can have this perspective where he's like, I don't care about this gift, guys. Thank you. I have everything that I need. Because his mind is fixed in Christ. He can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Answer these questions, maybe to give you some self-awareness. Think about this. I can be content in life if only blank. If only what? Or I can experience genuine and lasting fulfillment during my time on earth when I have fill in the blank. When you have what? Or life will prove to be worth living if and only if blank. If and only if what? Life right now would be joyful and satisfying, and I could truly enjoy all that God is for me in Jesus if it weren't the case that fill in the blank. If it weren't the case that, that what? And maybe the last question. I can be assured that God is good, and I can trust Him with my life if... If what? prayer for my own life, the, the answer that I want to put in those blanks is if I have Christ, right? If I have Christ, then he's all I need. He's my joy. He's my source of contentment. There are times where I can't say that, folks, and this is a great reminder for me that, wow, my strength comes from Jesus. Maybe to put it into perspective, um, Gus was sharing the story of this, this guy that, um, <laughs> the guy that uh, worked for the Salvation Army, and, um, and they were down in, in Kansas City, and a tornado had just gone through Kansas City, and so this whole place had been wiped out, they'd lost everything, right? And, and so this guy's down there ministering to the people, and he comes across this guy, and this guy kind of takes him aside, and he, he's, he's like giddy and joyous in his heart. He's like, I'm feeling really bad that, that I have so much joy in my heart. Everybody else is crying about what they've lost and everything. And, um, and this, guy, this guy's perspective was that, man, 
I'm so glad I didn't like that house anyways. I've been trying to get my, my kids' junk out of the basement for years. And now it's all gone. It's a whole different perspective, isn't it? Now, apply this to your own heart in terms of whatever it is you might be facing. Man, I imagine that when I let go of this earth suit, I'm going to be saying, thank goodness I'm done with this earth suit because you know what? I didn't really like it anyway. When Jesus gives me that new body and glory, I can promise you I'm going to say that to him. I'm going to steal it from that guy and say, it's perspective. His joy and his contentment wasn't wrapped up in his physical or his financial circumstances. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your involvement in our lives, God. And Jesus, we, we really, we want you, God, to, to show us what it means, God. Help us to learn, God, what it means to be content and to find joy in you, Jesus. Father, continue to answer those questions um, for us, God. Speak to us, God, even now as we begin to prepare our hearts for communion you. Father, do your work, God, even right now. Thank you that your spirit, God, is the one that works and speaks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chris is going to come and he's